Welcome to the Innovation Roundtable Insights Podcast. This episode was recorded in Copenhagen during the 2018 Innovation Roundtable Summit, where our colleague Mark sat down with Gino O'Connor, former professor at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, to discuss how organizations can approach breakthrough innovation. During the discussion, Gina recommends managers to set clear roles for innovation and to ensure that employees have the necessary mandate. Furthermore, she emphasizes that breakthrough innovation initiatives should be located inside the organization and managed at the corporate level. Welcome to, to this interview, Gina, mm-hmm. um, to this little backstage studio we have here at the, at the summit. Could you start off this interview by just explaining who exactly you are and, and what you do? Uh, Okay, so I'm an academic. I'm a professor at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in their business school. And um, I study how large um, uh, established companies have managed for the more breakthrough innovation. And I've studied this, um, many angles of this issue for a long time. Yes. And um, now I've just uh, sat in with your lab session, which which you just did two of right now who are at the last day of the summit and um, you you asked um, a few questions to the to the audience members and really interacted with them one thing that i uh, noted was that you spoke about institutionalizing this breakthrough innovation cap- uh, capability and this is going to be a rather broad question but mm. how would you go about institutionalizing uh, breakthrough innovation capabilities within a large firm well um the conclusion that we're coming to is that we have to realize that this kind of innovation, which now we're calling strategic innovation, any innovation beyond incremental new product development, where we have to have a lot of uncertainty on a number of dimensions, um, we have to treat it as a function in a company, just like we treat marketing and we treat engineering. And it does not need to be a large function, but it's the function in the company that protects the future health of the organization. And when we start thinking about that, now you start to think about um, how the organization, that little organization is designed and who, what kind of roles you need in the organization and what kinds of processes work for the more high uncertainty innovation. And you have to have, you know, who is in charge of making the decisions about the kinds of our domains of strategic intent for the future and how do we organize ourselves to begin to enact those, to start experimenting around with how we as a company are going to play in that space over the next 10 to 20 years. So when that becomes the mandate and we start to organize around it, now all of the elements of how you set up a function get tuned to that mandate. So our reward systems, how we measure people's performance, how we fund opportunities are more on a real options mentality than a big, you know, big, huge project mentality. All of the elements of how you run an organization start to get tuned to that mandate. And that, to me, is how this becomes institutionalized. And it's not far removed from the rest of the organization, um, but it's also not embedded in the mainstream of the company that is being managed and tuned to the mandate of short-term profitability, immediate needs, pleasing our current customers. That's, a, that's an incredibly important aspect of the company. But a company is a system and it has subsystems and you've got the short-term here and now and there needs to be a subsystem 
that focuses on the future. Yes, and there's quite a few things there I'd like to, to delve into. So, mm -hmm. so you mentioned uh, some things about roles and processes and so on. So which roles would you say are necessary to have within, within a breakthrough innovation department? Uh, well, so our, our research and our books that we write and everything talks about um, that as we've learned about how projects proceed, but also how you build a capability for breakthrough innovation, you need to have these capabilities of discovery and incubation and acceleration. And so um, <clears throat> it's not just at a project level either. So when we have these domains of strategic intent, these intentions for what the future of the company will look like, each of those fertile fields, if you think, needs to be of its own area. And so there needs to be a domain owner for each of those. And within each of those domains of strategic intent, there needs to be some experimentation taking place in discovery and in incubation. And so um, all of that has to take place with people overseeing those activities at the portfolio level. So you have discovery and incubation. And then many times companies finish with what they think is incubation and they throw it over to the business unit and expect them to grow that business. But again, the business unit is measured on returns, on their profit return to the company. They don't have the money to invest. So that's why we identified acceleration as its own capability that also has to take place or else you'll get great ideas that get very incrementally executed. You know, the first most obvious product will be sent to a business unit. They put it in their product plan if you're lucky. And then nothing else happens with the whole rest of the opportunity space that you elaborated and incubated. So, yeah. And you mentioned already, because here at the summit, we've had quite a few discussions about um, where should the, the breakthrough innovation capability or the digital transformation capability as well be, um, be located within the organization. And we actually did a poll yesterday where we had a, a more or less equal split yeah. in terms of, of the digital innovation unit. Should it be structurally separated or should it be... Um, within the core organization. And, and you say yourself now that it mm -hmm. should be close enough that, that you can, you can uh, align with the core organization, but still s far away that, that they can really run forward with, with their own. Could you just put a few more words uh, in terms of how, how, yeah. how to build such a somewhat ambidextrous setup? Okay, so first of all, I want to separate this from digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So digital transformation, I think, is an enabling technology for most companies. And so having some sort of a center of excellence where we're learning all kinds of things about how um, artificial intelligence and deep learning and all those things occur, and then thinking about how it can be applied in various aspects of our business, the, the use of that expertise will get pulled upon, just as in any other center of excellence in an R&D facility, for example. But the breakthrough innovation is much more focused on strategy, strat strategic in intent. And so... Um, when I say it needs to be in the organization, I don't mean in the business unit. We have to be able to be at a, it has to be run and overseen at the corporate level because a number of things that are going to occur in the future are going to cannibalize our current businesses. So we don't want to be um, organized to be in a business that is going to feel threatened by us. And so, um, you can imagine what you'd call 
um, kind of a re reflective model, uh, a repetitive model of an innovation hub as part of the innovation function where you have corporate level strategic initiatives that don't fit in any organizational home right now in any way being managed and incubated at the corporate level. Some companies are so big that each of their divisions is like the size of bigger than many other companies. So those, like in the case of IBM, they had a set a setup where they had corporate level Horizon 3 opportunities they were working. But they also, at each division, had its own um, uh, requirement to take care of its own future. And so they had um, a, rep a repeat of the same function and setup in each division. But the, the head of innovation at the corporate level had all of those groups networked to each other, linked so that somebody was overseeing the initiatives we're creating for the future of our company. Right? They had visibility into the financial arrangements, whether or not those spent expenditures were actually occurring so that the business unit was actually investing. Right? So those, all of those things have to be uh, overseen to make sure that we're actually doing the work that needs to be done. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, to start with, you said um, that we're figuring out in companies how to, how to deal with breakthrough innovation in terms of uh, roles, but also processes. Could you describe which, how processes differ uh, maybe now as opposed to even 10 years ago? You know, I think that um, we're able, there are so many processes and tools now that have been developed um, specifically with the concept of uncertainty in mind. So the whole idea of um, uh, short, quick experiments or sometimes, the, the problem is a lot of the, well, let me say that part of the problem is that some of these processes have been developed in the high-tech world, where you can get very quick experiments and quick results for not much money. But if you move that into, say, the energy industry or the steel industry or some of the more industrial companies, the gases and mining and these kinds of things, these are not necessarily really quick experiments all the time. But the concept of learning and redirecting, of learning-based project management, um, is now fairly well recognized. I'm not sure that the company cultures allow for those processes to be used really in the way we need them to be used um, because the company cultures still want certain types of reporting and the way and they evaluate teams as opposed to coach and work with those teams in a learning based framework. But um, McGrath and McMillan's discovery driven planning is one of these kinds of processes that you would use later in late incubation. Lean process, these, this lean startup stuff, it's great for when we're really clear that we have alignment with the strategic intent of the company and all you're trying to do is figure out what your business model needs to be. Um, so that part can be okay. And then our tool on le uh, the learning plan, learning-based project management, which has project leaders examining technical, market, organizational, and resource uncertainties, which we can trace as the, the organizational and resource uncertainties being the ones that throw the most challenges to these teams. Um, uh, so that 
the, the learning plan takes into account a lot of what Lean Startup does on market and technology, but adds the resource and organizational uncertainties that are important for being a corporate um, innovator. So we have a lot of these tools, and there are, there are others, you know, but those are the, some of the big ones that are out there. And they kind of each play a part at different points in the process. You know, there's, um, there, um, there, are, there are whole suites of tools that are available, okay? So now the issue is getting people not only to, like, adopt the tool, but actually use the tool in the way that it was meant to be used. And I think there it's just going to be training and education, and sometimes you got to go into a company and, and train them and work with them on it, and then you kind of got to go back. We're finding maybe a year later, and they say they're using the learning plan, and then you watch, and they've really just made it a rigid process. So you have to, you have to do some reminders, you know. But over time, uh, I think these things will become adopted and used very well. Yeah. But in, in terms of using these tools the way they used to be used, but they they can also still be be scope and room for aligning it to one's context. For example, if you look at Lean Startup. Mm -hmm. um, now uh, Telefonica has their own way of applying uh, Lean Startup and, and GE with the Fastworks uh, a few years ago and so on. So I guess companies can, can align these processes very much to their own context? They, they do. They need to. But I think the, the main issue I'm trying to raise here is sometimes when they do that, there's much more of a temptation to say you're aligning and what you're doing is turning it into a stage gate process. We all we have to fight that for probably two generations, I think, before companies really understand the differences. You know, people. That's why we find in our own work with companies, you have to kind of go back every once in a while and just check. You know, because the the mainstream organization is is the predominant culture, and it will just keep coming at you because of the pressures that occur until we really have this embedded as a function. Yeah. Yeah. And sitting in your uh, your lab um, exercise just now, um, we we spoke about this role of uh, of uh, roles of the roles within breakthrough innovation and how you know there can be a um, uncertainty from from senior management about what what you even do, um, and that uh, brings me to a question about about metrics. Like how can um, how can you be measured within breakthrough innovation? Well, it's clear to me, but, <laughs> but thanks for asking the question. So, you know, if, if we understand what the responsibilities are of a discovery team, you know what they're supposed to do. The outcomes of their work are supposed to be a nicely elaborated landscape of the domain with a richness of opportunities, right, that they can articulate in a compelling way that aligns with our strategic intent for the company. Then I want to know, you know, are you doing that? And I realize that not every domain that we've identified, you know, is going to elaborate out like that. You get the, the, the D1 team and the D2 person is going to say to us, we did all of these, these examinations. We contacted all of these different people. We thought about all these various fields of use and applications. And we went and we saw and we did this and that and the other thing. And as it turns out, we feel like there's less here than meets the eye. Okay, well, you showed me what you did to kind of test that out. And I believe that what you've done is everything that a person could have done. So I would evaluate that person very highly, right? Because then we give them the next domain to work on. And now they come back and they've done these, 
you know, th this elaboration. And what comes back now is this very rich, exciting possibility space. Okay, so it's not about the domain we gave them and that they make everyone sound good. We don't want that. We want them to come back with honest evidence, right? So that's what happens in discovery. And then in incubation, you know, they're supposed to create all the experiments to see how do we turn this into a business? So how many relationships did they have? How many, um, how many points of expertise are they relying on uh, externally and internally to ensure we've got the right technical solutions? You know, what kind of IP base are we uh, putting in, in place there? Um, what are all the flexibilities that we have around business model? You know, what are they showing us? And so that when the I2 comes back with his, his proposed business, um, the way we should play this business out, I want to see, well, what customers have you partnered with? You know, there's, there's just so much detail in what occurs in each of these competency areas um, that the metrics for how we evaluate the person should line up straight up against what we expect their responsibilities to be. That's, that's all. So, uh, so that's why um, it's, it's difficult to do this in sort of an interview, but in, in that book, in our Beyond the Champion book, each chapter is about these roles. So the whole chapter on the discovery roles, the three discovery roles, and it, it lays out all of that kind of stuff. Um, if we understand and you can, you know, you can trace what do these guys do in, in a day's time or in a week's time, and, you, you know, that's what we've done. We've kind of followed them around. And, and we can, you can start to, uh, to catalog those activities and think, well, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense from what I'm seeing? And, and then out of that, you can write out what the metrics ought to be. So some of them, normally in a like a salesperson's metrics or what all they care about is the outcome, right? So those are outcome-based performance measures. But when you have more uncertainty, it's usually activity-based performance measures. So irrespective of whether your hypothesis proved out or not, did you go through the disciplined approach to investigate it? That's, that's the best we can act expect. And we also expect the person to have some creative ways of testing those those hypotheses. You know, not really big, long, expensive ones all the time. Mm. Yeah. And um, to start with, you also mentioned um, this about um, who makes the decisions and so on. So which uh, leadership capabilities would you say are, are needed in, uh, in Breakthrough Innovation? And do those capabilities and leaders differ in their, um, in their nature in the um, discovery and the incubation and the acceleration phase? Uh, yeah, well, they do differ in their nature, but if you're at the leadership level of discovery or incubation or acceleration, at the port, you're looking now, you're sort of overseeing the portfolios in each of those things. We want those, those leaders on the third level of our matrix to have had experience in each of the other ones because only then can they really have the more strategic approach. So even if the discovery, the top of discovery is the R&D director for the company, which is nice, he can't only be thinking about science, obviously. He's got to be able to think about the future of the company. So he has to have had some experience in one of the businesses or multiples of the businesses or 
in a startup on his own or something, but he's had those kinds of experiences, so he knows what those pain points really are within the company, right? And the, the, the one that is thinking about incubation, he can't only just be about experimenting all the time. He's got to be have a sense of a practical nature, but he also has to have a sense of the possible. So the guy in incubation has to be able to have empathy through experience for both discovery and acceleration and ongoing operations, right? So there's a certain aspect of the breakthrough innovation capability set that they really love and they're really suited for, but as any leader, they have to have had these multiple ex critical experiences in order for them to be able to be more general and more strategic. So how in this day and age do you ensure, ensure buy-in from, from the stakeholders who, who naturally uh, want to, you know, think more, more short term? From the short, from the stockholders, from the, stockholders, from yeah. the market? So again, there's uh, academic research that is starting to show some interesting findings about how do we manage stockholder expectations and how do we think about um, our, our report out to the market analysts, for example. Um, one, uh, one result that's quite interesting is that in giving reports to market analysts. First of all, there's a crying need from very large investors, uh, wealth management funds, for example. Um, the head of BlackRock, for example, Larry Fink, writes a letter to uh, hit Fortune 1000 CEOs every year. And two years ago, his letter was, look, you guys, you're too short term. So this is the stock market. This is the guy that he's got billions of dollars of uh, people investing in his fund so he can invest on their behalf. Very wealthy people. And um, he's saying to the CEOs, I don't know where to put my money because none of you guys are showing um, a, a promise for future growth that is beyond you know, just a, a small trend line for maintaining your market share. And that's not interesting to my customers. So when you have those guys starting to talk like that, and he's calling for companies to have a, a plan around innovation and around growth that they make transparent. That, and, and another study that I know of from a, a colleague at um, uh, UCLA, UCLA um, shows that when we give market analysts updates on progress that's happening in our innovation portfolio. It doesn't mean that there's commercial success yet, but just like through incubation, if, we, if we've been, been able to prove a certain test in, in, in any one of them, let's say you have four or five domains of strategic intent, and if one or two of them have made some interesting progress or a new customer partner signed on or any of these kinds of things, even though we're losing money financially because it's still an investment, the market reacts positively. So what we've been doing over the past is just hiding all of this from the, from the um, analysts and only talking about the bottom line and top line growth. Well, they want to know, what are you investing in? And so that's how I think we need to start dealing with this. Mm. In your lab exercise just now, you asked the S&D to all work in the innovation roles. 
um, what challenges they find in, the, in working in an innovation role. And, uh, and you noted those down and so on. And I don't want to delve into all of them, but um, seeing aside from, from what you may have heard in there, but what you've generally seen in your research, what, cha what primary maybe two challenges do you see in working in innovation? And how can you, from a, um, uh, not a bottom-up perspective, but from an em employee perspective, really try to build on those challenges and, and you know, move your way out of those challenges? Well, um, I say the biggest challenge is that um, the HR and organizational development functions haven't figured this out yet. And so they've not become the partners of the innovation function which means that the people that are in these roles are doing it because they love it or they've been asked to do an assignment, um, but it, it, they're vaguely defined. So we use the words discovery and incubation. Everybody at this conference uses these words discovery and incubation and acceleration more and more, but everybody means something a little bit different. Nobody's talking about organizational uncertainty management at the, here. You know, and so all of these, all of these aspects need to get defined and clarified so that we actually have these job descriptions. And therefore, if a person wants to move up or stay in an innovation function, they can. That there's 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 options for how you would move and how you'd be developed and all of those kinds of things. So I think beginning to call on HR to partner with us um, and to begin to for them to understand what an innovation function is. And I've run into people in, in my interview travels who have HR and organizational development partnered in with them in innovation. And those, those people from HR come to learn the language and under, of innovation and the expertise that's required. And so that's the, that's the thing to do. And I think, you know, if you're a person who's in one of those... Um, vaguely defined roles and you're having all kinds of fun, you know, uh, that's fine. But I think that, you know, beginning to ask the questions of the leader of your boss and your boss's boss, like, where does this go from here? What will it, you know, I love innovation, but I need to make sure that I don't really fall behind. I want to have an influence in this company. And what is it going to take? And um, to, we have to start to put the pressure on about this. Because actually, if you start to talk like that, people start thinking, well, that's not really an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur because they actually care about rewards. And everybody thinks that entrepreneurs aren't supposed to care about extrinsic rewards. They're all intrinsically motivated. And that's definitely true, and it's the case, but it's not that they don't care at all about extrinsic rewards. When you start to see you're falling behind your peers in terms of your promotion path, you realize you're having less influence on the company or you're recognized as having less influence than these guys. And that makes them mad. And you don't want frustrated entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, one of the key challenges we, uh, we see in, in a lot of the polls we conduct at Innovation Roundtable events is, is, this, um, is this difficulty many have with getting top management buy-in for disruptive innovation. Um, or breakthrough innovation and um, I just was part of your lab um, and uh, there was a gentleman there who said that he actually had a, a CEO who was very entrepreneurial but then the middle management was uh, 
was uh, was the bottleneck in that case. Mm -hmm. How would you go about that uh, that challenge? That that seems to be such a recurring theme. Um, yeah. If 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 you're if you're an entrepreneur. Well, that's why we're calling for an innovation function. So if you, it would be awful to be an entrepreneur doing strategic or breakthrough innovation in a business unit where you had a manager like that, right? Or if you're operating on your own on the passion or champion model and your job is to try to convince every person that you run into who you, you need them to do something for you. It's exhausting and it's not the purpose. Um, that's why this strategic innovation function needs to be at the corporate level or networked through, and its management system is different. Middle managers have a really difficult job to do, and they're not stupid. And what we end up doing is we end up blaming operating unit leaders or blaming middle managers essentially for doing their job, right? They've got a job to do. This thing needs some separation. They're trying to do the job that makes the money for today and fuels tomorrow, and they need to be recognized for it. And for us to expect them to all of a sudden welcome some highly uncertain thing and give some favors and all this when he's operating under his own pressures is unrealistic. Okay, so that's why if these little these emerging businesses are incubated and um, and even accelerated in some unit that where those guys don't have to pay for it, they don't have to get too distracted by it until it's ready, the emerging business is ready to fit their model. That's when. And that's why the conversation has to happen at the innovation steering committee level of the strategic buckets and that everyone in the company understands what our strategic domains are, that we're heading to a future of this, that, and the other thing. And while we're working on that, we're, you guys are still doing this for us. So everyone has a job in the company to do. Right. In terms of now, now you've just mentioned this um, about how the, um, how the breakthrough innovation um, uh, capacity deals with the, the incubation and acceleration. So, so not to disturb um, the, the business who will be taking over at one point. How about the handover? Because I'm also thinking that there's, there's certain things there where where they maybe don't feel they've had enough fingers in this, and then and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, should we take take this to heart or take this yeah. uh, and, and move forward with that? And why should we do that? Right. Well, there does have to be regular and frequent communication, but that communication isn't at the middle management level. The communication's at the senior levels. At the senior level, the business unit has to be aware that this is happening, and normally they would be on be aware because they have a role on the innovation steering committee in one way or the other. So they know what the whole portfolio of opportunities is and they understand the pacing. So if one is becoming ready to be accelerated and it's one that is destined for their business unit, then because they've been involved in observing what the, what, what the patterns are and the pacing of the opportunity, they begin to ready their business unit for it. Now there is now, all the way down through in middle management, everybody's going to start to get impacted. But number one, it's already making sales, significant sales. And we know already that it's going to be profitable as it continues to scale. All right, so we've de-risked a lot of it. Okay, so it's another add-on. And it's not something that is going to take budget away from what we're currently doing, right? And so this 
this team is going to grow within within our business unit. There are still some glitches. And so we have, again, we call it a transition readiness assessment tool so that there's certain jobs to be done that right now R&D and a full-up innovation function may not view as their job and the operating unit might not view as their job, but that job has to be done. So we've, we've figured out, you know, we've, over the years, we've developed this as a, we see what, what, which of those continue to recur, and we've logged those in. And it becomes a negotiation, right? Who's going to do this and how? So you have a transition oversight board as the new business is moving in. You log in what has to be done yet in order for this to be fully accepted into the business unit and then just figure out which people in either in the innovation unit or in the operating unit how they're going to work together to get that job done All right and if the senior head of the business unit has been involved and understands that that's going on then allocating that resource to essentially get a new business that's going to fuel his future growth is a no-brainer definitely and um, to conclude this interview, um, I'd like to ask you now, now you're here on the third day of the summit, has there been any um, any um, presentations or any roundtable discussions you've participated in that have like especially made some, some triggers in, in thoughts uh, during these days or any key takeaways you'd, you'd say that you've taken away from, from the summit experience? Um, well, we... We continue to face the same challenges over and over again, but I think that it's um, um, encouraging to see so many people here and so many people who are beginning to adopt more of a common language about innovation. And so I don't know yet the extent to which it just seems like it's buzzwords to everybody, but the fact that it's becoming more familiar to people, we... Everyone out there understands what the horizons of growth are now. So at least we can move to that language. And they, they, they at least can tell me if I understand what it is, but my company, we don't really use it or adopt it yet. But, you know, people who are more early career are coming through with this. And you've got a fair number of senior people here as well. The, um, and so the fact that, that they're here and they're talking with one another, there's going to be more walking the talk than there has been, I think, in the past. So, so you have a bunch of the same issues that keep cropping up, and we're hearing more about it. And more people are becoming much more familiar with those. And we, like you said, we have a lot more processes and approaches. Um, and then there's this new technology that's emerging that's scaring everybody um, around um, artificial intelligence, which has been this other theme of this and digitization of the. So. To me, it's been fascinating. I've been learning a lot about that because it's it's one technology sphere, you know, and I've been more focused on management systems and all of this kind of thing. So to try to get a handle on what opportunity spaces that opens up and kind of what ethical concerns it raises as well has been just like a whole new thing to think about for me. Okay, yeah. sounds good. Yep. And with that, I'd like to finish the interview. Thank you very much, Sheena, for participating. Yeah, well, thank you. The video version of this podcast can be accessed via innovationroundtable.online. The Innovation Roundtable online network is your portal to a wide variety of exclusive content, including video presentations, 
interviews, insights reports, and articles. Not only that, innovationroundtable.online is also a place where you can connect with other corporate innovators, share experiences, request collaborations, and gain inspiration from your peers. Our network is exclusively for innovation practitioners and large firms, so visit innovationroundtable.online to discover more and request your seven-day free trial account.